You are tuned in to CSCR 90.5 FM, and it's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and we have a smaller crew than usual. It is Jody and Dave and Brennan. We will, of course, check in with Craig and Hank, but uh, we are without Tony and Kathy this week. So best wishes to them. Uh, hope they're all doing good, and we'll uh, hopefully get them back on the airwaves next week. We've got a lot of comics to talk about this week. We're gonna talk about Demon Days, we're gonna talk about Young Hellboy, Carmen, Proctor Valley Road, and time permitting Nottingham. But before we do any of that, Dave and I have been sucked into a CBS show called Clarice. Yeah, we're watching like major network broadcast serial TV. Serial, serial killer TV. Kind of. That's that's it. That's that's questionable. Yeah, um, yeah. The, actually, it, it's not a serial. It's not a serial killer. It's not a serial killer. It is. It is compared. It is a conspiracy. I believe. Maurice, we need you to. We need you to stay on brand here. You can't have one of your rogue operations messing up this this whole movie. <laughs> so basically, um, if you're a fan of like the Thomas Harris books, The Silence of the Lambs, Empire, this picks up a year after. Clarice Starling captures Buffalo Bill or kills Buffalo Bill and uh, kind of how she's doing in the in the FBI and how she's dealing with the trauma and she has been recruited by the senator whose daughter she saved Ruth Martin Ruth Martin to be on this task force to stop serial killers essentially and so she's assigned to this case and they think it's a serial killer and they want it wrapped up because it looks good politically if there's a big success, but she's convinced that it's not really a serial killer, that it's a conspiracy of a bigger kind that's tied to a bigger issue. Now we've only watched three episodes because it just started. This uh, is just kicked off in February and it is a week to week. We're living with the animals. Um, we can't binge this. It's frustrating, but you know, there you go. It sort of fits with the, the whole thing. We came in with low expectations. I thought, you know, we would have a few laughs at the first episode and then uh, snobbishly shove it aside because, you know, that whole Thomas Harris franchise, we, we've been through Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon and Hannibal and Hannibal Rising and uh, then the Hannibal TV show. Yeah. And it almost feels like, okay, maybe there's nothing, maybe there's nothing more to be, to be squeezed out of this. But by picking up where they pick off and, and pretending that the Hannibal novel never happened. Uh, and also I think maybe by just removing Hannibal Lecter from the, they seem to just have erased him from the story and just focused on Clarice's character and made some minor characters from Silence of the Lambs like Ardelia and Ruth and Catherine Martin and her commander, Paul Krendler. They've made those characters kind of the, the, big, the big players and characters in this series. And three episodes in, if you don't mind some like FBI police procedural drama, it's pretty good. They borrow heavily from from silence of the lambs which is not necessarily a bad thing but they do have her flashback and it's shot for shot it's props that they i'm sure pulled out of the closet yeah jane gum's basement is like you're going back there right in episode one yeah and it looks the same it does look the same they've done a very good job that way 
Um, but yeah, I think they will bring back Hannibal because it's just too juicy not to. They just haven't needed to pull him out yet. So at some point, she's going to get a phone call from Dr. Lecker. We'll just see when that happens. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's not that bad. It's, it's better than I thought. It is pretty typical police procedural, but, um, you know, it's still fun. Yeah, and the, the way they get the look of the... It's like 1993. It is very yeah. much set in 1993, and they do a really good job of that. I, I have to give them credit. There. Yeah, all the fonts, all the costumes. We haven't seen Frankie Faison yet. Yeah, he's uh, the one guy who's kind of in all of the different movies, yeah. except for young Hannibal because he wasn't born yet, but, but we'll, we'll yeah. forgive that. Yeah. But it's good. Um, I, I'm curious to see where this goes. It could completely crash and burn. We're only three episodes in, but I am committed to see it through. Yeah, if you liked those books, if you liked even the Hannibal TV show, you don't want to miss this one, I don't think. I, I am impressed, actually, with the cast. It is, I mean, I like the Jodie Foster, Clarice Starling. And even the Julianne Moore is very good. Totally different, but but they're good. But I think that uh, they're actually doing a good job. And Rebecca Breeds is the gal playing her right now. She she has that vulnerability that maybe the other two are a little tougher. Yeah. And so, yeah, we might get to see her crash and burn, which would be kind of fun. Yeah, see where that mental angle goes. Anyways, the cast is like, Okay, no huge standouts just yet, but uh, it's entertaining. And, yep. and right now, that's enough. Yeah, pleasant surprise. Yeah, so yay. So we'll, we'll keep watching that. We'll keep you tuned into uh, anything that's good that happens or warn you away from it if need be. Okay, Brennan, you're reading some books. You've been reading Demon Days and Young Hellboy. What's good? What's not good? Uh, well, luckily for me, they're, they're both good. It's kind of interesting talking about the Clarice show and going to Young Hellboy and Demon Days. It's almost like the sort of whole prequel, what happened before sort of theme. But accidentally, so that worked out really good. Uh, let's start with Young Hellboy. So this is Young Hellboy, The Hidden Land. Um, and it is written by uh, Mike Mignola. That would make sense as the co-creator and the one that made Hellboy famous. And Thomas Snygoski and art by Craig Russo. And so this follows uh, Hellboy as a young child in May of 1947. And I went and did a bit of research after I read the book. And the original Hellboy appeared, you know, in the uh, 1944, 1943. So here he's about four years old, but he's more like a 10, 11 year old, which I guess would make sense if you're the Hellspawn, <laughs> that you'd probably grow at a different rate, right? So here we have a child version of Hellboy and uh, the professor that are on their way to a dig in South America and they're on a plane and their plane crashes under some action-packed details. I won't get into, you have to read the book to find out why. And when they get to this island, there are giant ape gorilla thing and there's giant crabs and there's monsters and there's quicksand and there's dinosaurs and it's just becomes this fun island adventure, something you'd expect to see in an old black and white Errol Flynn-esque type movie. So if you imagine if like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas got together to put money towards it and got to make it into a live action or even better animated movie, maybe the crew that does the DC animation, uh, like the Harley Quinn maybe, it made this into a movie, it'd be really cool. So it's really fun. It's only one of four, but it's a, it's a nice fun read. So if you like Hellboy, definitely pick it up. 
Uh, and if maybe Hellboy is someone that you're kind of interested in, but not totally a huge fan of, this might be a good starting off point. The artwork's really clean and kind of cartoony, sort of Johnny Quest, Saturday morning cartoonish. So not the sort of like the general Hellboy aesthetic, but for a young Hellboy comic, I think it works really well. If it was that sort of jagged and dark looking, it might be a little bit too, too scary for the young Hellboy. So uh, definitely check it out. The other one is Demon Days X-Men number one. Uh, story and art by Peach Momoka. I hope I'm saying that right. And Peach Momoka was named one of the, oh, uh, a Stormfront. Ooh, darn. Stormfront, is that right? Stormbreaker, I think. Thank you, Stormbreaker, um, as an up-and-coming artist who's making waves and being really innovative. So this is a feudal Japan story where we have some familiar characters that are being recast in different ways. So we have this walking swords person who just happens to have sort of psychic blades when she fights. Uh, there's this huge black reptile with huge white eyes that goes by the name of Venom. Um, we have some other creatures living in the hills. What's really neat is that these, this story is actually dealing with actual figures from um, traditional like Japanese stories and things. So for example, we have the Aka-Ani, which is the red Ani, which is like the hill people that has been recast as a very famous character that you'll see it. The Orochi, which is the great snake, which is the Venom one. I'm telling you that much at least, just so you know. And then there's the, the Curse Master. So a lot of these characters actually appeared in traditional stories and now they're being recast as, as X-Men characters. The artwork is, is beautiful throughout. It's this really nice combination of a very manga type look, as well as painted watercolor, the best way. So very soft colors, very watercolor type palette, very, when there's action, a lot of the same sort of angles and perspectives you'd expect to see from like a manga or something. But some of the details are like, um, like sometimes in, in a manga, what might tick me out of it is that there's like a lack of background. So sometimes there'll be like this really cool action, but then just white panel after white panel. Here, if there's a panel without a background, there's still colored texture or, or something to it. So it's never quite blank. It might be one color, but uh, there's always other lines or something like it makes it look like it's old or it's antiquated or like it'll look like there's a brick wall and like like there's some cracks in the wall and that type of thing. So yeah, it's a really interesting read. This is probably the first X-Men comic I think I've really purchased since the early 90s. <laughs> and I love Elseworlds and these type of stories when they can recast characters in, in, in creative ways. Um, and it was a really good read. I, I honestly just picked it up because I thought the artwork looked really cool and I wasn't sure what I would think of the story. But when I got through it, um, I was like, I would take more of these. Um, this is one of five, and they're being released quarterly, apparently. So um, it'll be a little bit until, until issue number two comes out. Issue number two, that was more of a tongue twister than I expected. Um, but it's really good. So if you're looking for something a little bit different in your comic selection, check out Young Hellboy and uh, check out Demon Days. They're, yeah, they're fun. Oh, they're fun reads. You'll like them. Okay, good suggestions. Okay, we're going to throw things over to Hank and Craig, and then we're going to um, talk about more comics when we come back on the other side. So take it away, fellas. Hey, everybody. Craig Silliphant here, and I'm with my good buddy Hank Cruz, as always, for Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And we got a few things to talk about today. Oscar nominations were this week. Uh, but first, I know, Hank, you uh, had something interesting you've been paying attention to. Oh, oh, what is more important than the Oscars? Two dudes wearing kilts. That's what's more important than the Oscars. So I read a book called Clanlands, which is a road trip book uh, where two actors from the television show Outlander, uh, so Sam Hewen and Graham McTavish, 
they explore Scotland. And the book is their road trip. So they rent a van, they hop in the van, they travel all over Scotland to learn all of these cool things because they don't know as much as they think they should about their Scottish heritage. The book is hilarious, uh, written perfectly, where you feel like you are on a road trip with these guys. Then the point of the book is that they were trying to get a television show made with the road trip so they did stars picked it up it's called men in kilts it is in canada on the w network or if you have the global tv app it'll show up there so it's called men in kilts a road trip with sam and graham it's eight episodes uh that follow sam and graham all over scotland they cover scottish food and drinks sports song dance culture to uh, tradition so much more it's hilarious educational most of it i would say is great for the whole family um my kids don't know that much about scotland yet although we are quite i am uh, scottish um so it was good for them to learn some things and my wife loved it even more because uh, she's in love with sam from outlander who plays jamie fraser right this is a big deal he's kind of a uh, an attractive male well in uh, the second or third episode of the series he loses a bet to graham he's got to go skinny dipping in the north atlantic you get to see his buttocks. Yep. And my wife is like, sold. Let's watch more of this show. Uh, so the book is amazing. So they begin their journey in the heart of Scotland, travel from there all the way over like Inverness, uh, Culloden. Um, then they experience adventure, uh, cast of crazy characters that go through this, uh, story of their friendship, finding themselves, lots of whiskey. Uh, they discover the complexity, rich history, and culture of Scotland. Uh, the book is amazing. I would recommend reading the book first. So then when you watch the show, you're like, because the show, they're half an hour episodes. So there's hardly any of what's in the book in the show, right? And you're like, oh, well, actually, when they show them riding the bike, they've been riding the bike for three hours to get to this place. And that's why they look like they're dying. But it's like, yeah, it's very good. Very good. Oh, sorry. What's it called again? It is called Men in Kilts on the W Network, but it's a Stars television show. And the book is called Clan Lands. All one word, Clan Lands with Sam and Graham. Got to watch it. Oh, I don't know. I think I might know what my dad's getting for his birthday this year. Then that sounds like something he'd be interested in. Good. Um, so yeah, uh, Oscar nominations came out this week and we'll get into those in a second, but first I want to ask you, you know, what do you, do you pay attention to the Oscars? What's your take on it? I have watched the Oscars, uh, every year since I was probably born because my mom cared a lot about the Oscars. Funny, uh, thing. Uh, she probably never saw, uh, more than one movie a year but she loved the Oscars. It's like, oh, this is the best night. Um, now that I know what goes into uh, how they choose their nominees for the Oscars, same with the Golden Globes and stuff like that, there are so many, well, you know, there are, we watch so many great movies, but unless you're campaigning, you're not going to get a nomination. And so this whole thing is kind of, a, I don't know. I will still watch it every year. And I, yes, I care about the nominee, but I'm still like, well, why did the five bloods not get a nomination? This is ridiculous. Oh, it came out too early in the, uh, in the whole uh, campaigning thing. Yeah. So it peaked too early. And we're like, well, what does that have to do? But I'll still watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I watch the Oscars every year. I have for many, many, many years. Uh, part of that is like a you know professional thing. I have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. But uh, as much as I feel like they are a farce, uh, I do still enjoy watching them and talking about them and stuff. Oddly enough, I don't really watch other award shows 
that often, like the Golden Globes and stuff like that. Well, um, the Golden Globes this year were a joke. It was the worst thing that has ever been put on television. Oh my God. That's, I mean, not shocking. I mean, especially with the, uh, all the COVID stuff this year and how everybody's oh. had to kind of pivot to those like virtual award ceremonies. Uh, but the the nominees were a little bit interesting this year and, and maybe a little controversial. It's obvious that the you know, they had that Oscar so white hashtag a few years ago. And so they've been trying to inject some like, you know, representation uh, and, and stuff like that into the Academy. And this year, it seems like the first year that maybe they've like that sort of caught up with them. Uh, there's definitely a lot more uh, stuff nominated that's like, you know, of, you know, from different, you know, uh, you know, people of color and, and uh, female directors and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, let's just, uh, you know, we got plenty of time to talk about this over the weeks, but let's just go through the like best picture nominees and just sort of get our take on each one that we've seen or not seen. So, uh, the first one is the father, which I hadn't even heard of until uh, the nomination, but it stars, uh, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. And it's about a, uh, basically a man who's refusing assistance from his daughter as he ages. So I assume you haven't seen this one. Uh, I have watched uh, I, what I could find so far. Um, I, I've seen probably half of the movie. Um, Anthony Hopkins is amazing. From what I understand, he should win every award for his performance. Again, I haven't seen the full movie yet. Um, but that's really what you just said. That is the movie. Like there's no other crazy things that happen in it. It's really just a story about, uh, about him and uh, uh, going through uh, some, uh, some old age stuff that he's got going on there. So, but he, uh, he plays it perfectly. So from what I've seen, yeah, it's pretty good. So. Well, unfortunately I should mention, uh, we're not going to go through best actor, but I, well, I mean, I guess I kind of am. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is nominated for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, Stephen Ewan for Minari, and Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, who's apparently the first Muslim uh, man to be nominated for Best Actor, but they're all going to lose, sadly, and Riz Ahmed has an amazing performance in that movie, so does Stephen Ewan and, and Oldman, and I assume Hopkins too, but they're all going to lose mm -hmm. to Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is I, you know, a movie that probably not a lot of people even saw. And unfortunately they're all going to lose to him because he passed away. Uh, and not that he wasn't a great actor, but I mean, that's, that sucks for someone like Riz Ahmed. Uh, anyway, ripping through here, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. But Ooh, it's I saw that one. Infiltration that. of the Black Panther Party. So how was it? Uh, the movie I thought was great, but uh, for the actor categories, everybody was freaking out. It's like, well, technically the two main people in Judas and the Black Messiah, they didn't put them in for um, lead actor roles because they thought they couldn't win there. And then they're like, they put them into the supporting actor because they're supporting each other. Right. So there really isn't in like one main actor, but uh, everybody in the movie was great. Uh, stuff in there that I didn't know about uh, as well. So that, that one I enjoyed. I don't think it's gonna win because many of these other ones are better, but it deserved the nomination. Right. Uh, Mank also on Netflix. You can read my review at thefeedbacksociety.com of that one. I enjoyed it, but it's not for everybody. Give me your five second take. Gary, get Gary Oldman was great there. That's my okay. uh, Minari was also nominated. I actually just watched this one and it's a very gentle, but powerful film. And I quite enjoyed it actually. So I'm not sure if it'll win best picture, but I liked it. Did you see that one? I have not seen it yet, but I'm going to now. 
Uh, Nomad Land, uh, which I have a screener for, but I haven't watched it yet, with uh, uh, Frances McDormand as a woman who's lost everything in the Great Recession and embarks on a journey through the American West in her van. That one's supposed to be uh, really good. Uh, and she is the only uh, only actor, uh, Hollywood actor, in that movie, from what I understand. Everybody else is a just a normal person, a muggle. Yeah. Right. All right. We got about 30 seconds left here, but uh, Promising Young Woman. I was actually surprised to see this one nominated. I enjoyed this movie. It had some flaws. Uh, it just seems like a strange movie for Best Picture, but um, but that's cool. Like, I, I think it's I think it was a neat movie. Did you see that one? Uh, saw that one, thought it was okay. It had some flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sound of Metal. I watched actually on the weekend too, and I enjoyed it, but I found it a little bit slow. Uh, and I think Minari was a similar movie, but, but better. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. You haven't seen Sound of Metal, I don't think. No, I'm going to watch it tonight, actually. Nice. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 was the last one, and I did see that one, and I liked it, but it's like only if you like Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. <laughs> only if you know. like Aaron Sorkin will you yeah. like this movie, because it's very Aaron Sorkin. But oh, it tells an entertaining story. Yeah the great cast so what, what did you think of that one uh, i i actually i, I really love i love aaron sorkin i love the movie sasha baron cohen was great the whole thing um that that one is would be one of my top three that i would uh, pick in this uh, category yeah cool yeah it was a good one okay well that's all the time we have for this week but we'll keep talking about this stuff as we go so we'll throw back to jody here and this is hank and craig saying goodbye, goodbye. all right well we both read some of the same stuff this week brennan and i we read Carmen and we both read Proctor Valley Road. Um, and I actually really liked both of them. I was surprised I didn't have big expectations going in. I picked up Proctor Valley Road because it is the new book by Grant Morrison. He hasn't done anything for a while and he always is surprising. Sometimes he is, I think, purposely oblique, but not here. It is really straightforward storytelling. It's set in the 70s. It's about this like group of gals and they're trying to like scrounge up some dough so they can go to the Janis Joplin concert. And they live in a town where there's like this rumor of some weirdness happening out on Proctor Valley Road that there's like ghosts or something. And they come up with this plan where maybe they can like take people on a tour of the road and, you know, sort of sell it as a destination tour thing. And so they do that. They, you know, meet some boys at the fair and they're like, hey, well, we'll show you this creepy road. And they go out there and they're misled. The boys think they're going out for some hot, hot times, but that's not happening. And the girls are like, screw that, we're leaving. And they drive back to town and then something bad happens. And I'm, I'm gonna leave it there. I'm not gonna say anything more cause I don't wanna spoil it too much. But it's interesting because it's published by Boom and they're kind of, they do a lot of kids books and the style of the art is very kid book. Like it looks like Lumberjanes. It doesn't look like a creepy horror comic at all, but that kind of works, I thought. What did you that's think? A, that's what I liked a lot about it. Um, I was also excited that it was Grant Morrison because you never know if he's, if he's going to be straight ahead or if he's going to take you to some other esoteric version. I like the fact that the arts is very cartoony because then when it does get at all creepy or a little bit scary, it almost to me seems more scary because it's more stark. You know, I find sometimes if I'm reading a comic that's more horror-based, 
um, or it takes place in a weird dimension or whatever. You see so much of it, by the time you're done the book, it doesn't really affect you. Like, oh, okay, there's a bigger demon, who cares? But when it looks a bit more, I don't wanna say innocent, but when it looks more like a cartoon, and then when something does bad happen, it seems even more, more stark. Um, there was a book I liked a lot called Steeple. That oh, was yeah. the same, mm -hmm, that to me, this is what it kind of reminded me of, that had a very cartoony, like great details, wonderful expression in the characters, but very clean, not at all a horror look. But then when something bad did happen, the gore looked even, even more gory. To me, as someone who has never seen Stranger Things, this to me was like, oh, I think Stranger Things might be like this, only in the 80s. I could be totally wrong, <laughs> being as I've never seen it, but that was, that was the vibe that I got. Um, so yeah, no, I'm really interested to see where this goes and if whether it's going to stay a bit more straight and narrow or out of the blue, Grant Morrison is going to steer us in another direction. Yeah, I'm curious to see where that this goes as well. The other book that I enjoyed this week was Carmen. Carmen with a K. This is story and art by Guillaume March. I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering that totally. And it's about a gal who like starts hanging out with death. She's like, death is really funny. She's like, she's cracking wise all the time. And it's, yeah, sort of plays with levels of reality and dreaming and death and mortality, um, which sounds really deep, but like it's, it's funny and it's, it's, I like the layout. I thought that the panel construction in it is really good and, and innovative and not boring. Yeah, I want to see where this goes. I was, I was caught up in it because I like the Minara cover, but uh, the story is actually good. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. I I like, again, I like when they take uh, a matter that could be a bit more serious and, and can play with it. Um, so we have like kind of like this pixie death girl type of idea. We don't see that very often. I mean, in DC Comics, we had, you know, death from the Sandman series. So in a way, same kind of idea, but this death is even more, she's way more quirky and a bit more loose with what she says. And like, she's, she's a lot more playful for lack of a better, better word. I think the art is, is gorgeous all throughout the book. There are times when you think it could be really sensationalized, but it really, it really isn't. Um, as far as uh, the way the, the forms are used and the way that people are drawn. It reminds me a lot of the French artist who I'm suddenly blanking and I feel like I'm losing all my comic book cred right now because I can't remember who it is. Uh, Adventures of Tintin in Dreamland. Um, uh, anyway, it'll come to Her? me. Uh, uh, sure, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, there's, uh, yes. Um, anyway, so the art is, is, is really good. Um, I love the look of it. And it's just a really, it's a really well-written, well-written read all, all the way around. Definitely a mature read though. Definitely a different style than, than the last one, but yeah. And like the, the layouts and the, the perspectives and things that are used are, are, are great. Mobius, Mobius, that's who I'm thinking of, was the artist. Okay, cool. All right, well, that wraps up our time. Um, we didn't get to Nottingham, which is like a take on Robin Hood, and, but it's grisly and gross and pretty good, surprisingly. And uh, maybe we can talk about it next week. So in the meantime, keep your dukes up and you know where to find us here on CFCR 90.5 FM.